I'm going to get right into the word the Lord's put on my heart tonight. Um, I've been praying all this afternoon, saying, Lord, help me to deliver this in the way that you like for this to be delivered so it'd be understood by many because there's a lot going on in our nation right now. Today, with all the world is facing these unprecedented times, our world's become a pressure cooker, and we're in it. The pressure on people today is so overwhelming, and the church has got to learn how to not just survive but thrive in these times. Our faith is going to become the most critical element to our survival. It's going to be the thing most challenged during these times. We lose our faith. We lose this war. There's a great falling away taking place from the faith because of all the pressure of this turmoil we're living in. The enemy's taking advantage of it. Church attendance is falling nationwide. Ministers are simply walking out of the ministry like never before. Saints are departing from the faith. Once long-term Christian marriages are just literally falling apart. And I could go on and on, but I want to tell you something. Our enemy is behind it all. And he's using the spirit of fear to cause a lot of saints to quit due to hopelessness. Using temptation to cause a lot of men and women to fall. And we are losing too many once-anointed leaders of the faith. And as a result, too many families are becoming the casualties of this war. Is there an answer? I believe there is. And we're going to look at King Saul's life and how his family became a casualty of war because he lost hope, this once great anointed leader. If you have your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 31, verses 1 through 10, I want to read them for you. It says, beginning verse 1, Now the Philistines fought against Israel. And the men of Israel fled from the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Geboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchushua, Saul's son. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on him. And when his arm bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together that same day. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul was, and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt with them. So it happened the next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Geboa. And they cut off his head, stripped off his armor, and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. They, then they put his armor in the temple of Asheroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Let us pray. Father, I stand here tonight humbly in your presence. You've given me a responsibility. And to be honest with you, God, I need your help to perform it. I need your anointing, Father. I need you to help me, to guide me and direct me, Father. I pray that this message, Lord, touches our hearts. I pray it awakens us to the deception of our enemy, God. I thank you for continually giving us instruction and making us keenly aware of what the enemy is up to and that you are the God who has the answer and that you're for us and you're not against us, God, and that if we'll trust you with all of our hearts, God, Lord, you will defend our honor. And we give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. 
Now, it amazes me to read this text and find Saul, such a great warrior, a courageous man who was anointed to be king by the prophet Samuel, die in such a degrading fashion. It's shocking to me how this once anointed powerful king could find himself stripped naked in Galboa by his enemy. His armor was taken away from him like he was some little weak child. His head was totally severed from his body and his armor placed in the temple of Dagon. His enemy made him sport of him like he was an animal, a hunter's trophy. They even hung his body on a wall. Do we understand every time our enemy is successful in bringing down spiritual giants, it's a trophy to him, another notch in his belt, another celebration for him? Our failure fuels his fire. How is it the mighty are fallen? Why are we losing these battles? Why are soldiers of faith being defeated? How do these great once anointed find themselves decapitated by life's circumstances? How is it we can be victorious one day and a fallen victim the next? Calling down fire from heaven like the prophet Elijah did one day, but running for our life and wanting to die the next day. Why is this happening? The world is full of stories just like this still today. Many soldiers of the faith are losing their battles. When God has declared that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And I've come to you as a messenger of God to speak into your life an anointed word. With the hope that it will cause those that feel defeated, those who are battle-torn, ready to give up, to want to live again. To want to get back up again. To want to carry on. To make you want to cancel your decision to quit. Come on, somebody. We've got to finish this thing strong. Listen to what the Spirit of the Lord is wanting to say to us tonight. This is not for everyone else but you. He's talking to you. Say it. He's talking to me. You were winning and you were progressing this thing called life. You were excelling. Things were going smooth. You had a plan. You were working your plan. Then one day out of the blue, your life crashed. Just one bad phone call, one unpleasant conversation, just one tragic event, one unjust ordeal, one unexpected accident. Everything changed. It knocked the breath literally out of you. Due to the vice of a well-planned plot against your life, you lost the battle. It was carried out by your enemy, but get this, in which you became an accomplice in helping him to destroy you. Oh, listen to me now. You helped him destroy you, and many are going to do what? Perfectly understandable reaction. Hopefully I've got your attention now. We've got to realize your enemy is so subtle, he knows how to get you to take you out. This is going to make a lot of sense in just a little while. Tonight, I'm exposing him and his plans. First of all, let's be clear who him is. I'll call him out bluntly. Your adversary, the devil, goes around seeking who he may devour. The one who's promised to come to kill, steal, and destroy your life. That's your enemy, the devil. Now, I'm declaring to tonight, you're going to hear the truth. I've come to pull the wool off somebody's eyes. I've come to wake up the deceit. I've come to destroy the enemy's plot against your life. I'm exposing the real murderer. I've come to destroy the yoke around somebody's neck. By the anointing power of the Holy Spirit, it's the anointing that destroys the yoke. I'm on an assignment under the Lordship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. Right now, there's demons trembling. There's chains rattling. But there's fixing to be some help up in this place for some people who are here and for some people who even ain't here. <laughs> Hallelujah. This text shows definitely how your life could be at a pinnacle one moment of success and yet totally devastated the next by a disastrous attack on your life by the enemy. It warns all of us that are known not to be presumptuous. Take the anointing for granted. Because when you become presumptuous with the anointing, the enemy has a way of publicly humiliating you. Saul's ordeal warns all of us have been anointed, 
Whether you're anointed to run a business, whether you're anointed to raise a child, to sing, teach a class, called to preach, to be a mother, whatever you're anointed to do, Saul's story is a voice from the grave warning us we must understand the mistakes he made we are still capable of making even today. We see it all the time. Anointed men and women of God falling from grace. Saul's greatness and failures are recorded in Scripture to teach us. And the Bible is full of lessons learned. That if we make it applicable to our lives, we can save ourselves a lot of heartaches. In our text, King Saul has found himself at war with the Philistines, and his adversaries wounded him. The archer of his enemy shot him with an arrow, and he died. No, now it's not just that simple. If that's your conclusion, you're missing it. Did you know it wasn't the enemy that actually killed him? Did you know it wasn't the, it wasn't the enemy's arrow alone that laid him to rest? Oh, it's true the enemy wounded him with an arrow, the scripture says. And it's the same for some of you too often. It's not the archer of the enemy that killed your dream or your hope or your career or your marriage or your ministry or your destiny. It could be true he shot and wounded you, but do you realize Saul was actually killed by his own sword, by his own actions? It's true the enemy attacked him, wounded him, but it's actually Saul who helped his enemy to destroy him. After he was attacked by his enemy, he lost the battle actually in his mind first. And in return, his mind dictated his actions that he took. I'm telling the truth to somebody today. That's so true of our responses to our circumstances. They are just as damaging to our lives as the circumstances we face themselves. Things will come and go in our lives that happen to us. But too often, it's our decisions how we respond to our circumstances that cause the most damage and prohibit us from moving on and getting past or even overcoming. Causing us to hold on to pain and hurt for so long to the point of causing us to self-destruct. We won't let it go. We believe that we're finished. So we choose not to try. We give up. How many know sometimes you're your worst enemy? As believers, we spend way too much talking about what people have done to us, talking about who's wounded us, who's hurt our feelings, and too much of their times, their attacks did wound you, but they don't have to be allowed to destroy you. You see, the problem the enemy has is he can't kill you if you're a believer because of the bloodline. That was proven through Job's life. Satan wanted to kill Job. God says, you can afflict him, but you can't kill him. He can wound you and cause you pain such as he did to Job. It's true the enemy can wound you and he can hurt you and he can afflict you. But too often, much of destruction comes with our own hands, our own actions, and our reactions to our wounds and to our afflictions. I didn't come to warn you about the sword of your enemy. I came to warn you about falling on your own sword. Drowning in your own self-pity, dying in your own sin, living in your own self-made misery. Come on, self-destructing based upon bad decisions. Saul was wounded by his enemy, but his death came because of his fear of his enemy, because of his prideful actions, by his irrational decisions that he made. His actual death came by his own hands and by his own sword. He fell on it, taking himself out, making himself an accomplice to his enemy's plan to kill him. All the enemy had to do was wound him like he's done so many men and women of God throughout the years. How is it you can take two people who experience the same tragedy, but yet one will be bound by it and the other will grow because of it? Take two people, both wounded in the same war. Both of them lose their legs, but not their lives. One will be bound to a wheelchair and live in depression all their life. The other one will be in a wheelchair, but do something great with his life, like grow, run, a, run a marathon or run a corporation or preach the gospel. He won't let the tragedy stop him, but the other will let it destroy him. How is it? How is it two women, both divorced, 
One goes on with her life and meets Mr. Right, while the other one lives in misery the rest of her life, never trusting again. Two abused people. One goes on in life and never allows the abuse to hinder their purpose, yet the other is mentally stricken and bound by the event, always living the life of a victim. Why does one make it and the other doesn't? They experience the same pains, the same wounds, the same emotional trauma. The difference is how they responded to the wound. One allows the wound to bring death. The other doesn't allow the wound to kill them. One allows the tragedy to determine, to who, determine who they are or stop them. Yet the other one doesn't allow one event to determine who they are or stop them. One allows himself to be victimized for life, develops a victim mentality and a defeated mentality. Yet the other refuses to be someone's victim and is victorious. Your wounds have no right to determine who you become. Only you allow that. And by doing that, you become an accomplice to your enemy's plan to take you out. Do you realize how many people have committed spiritual or even physical suicide because of a blow to their life that they are actually responsible for making it larger than it really was? Or they took it farther than what it should have become. It should have hurt. It should have been painful, but it shouldn't have took them out. Your enemy knows I can't kill you because of the bloodline. But if I can wound you and then convince you to finish yourself off with your own sword, wake up somebody, I'm exposing deception tonight. I don't care how anointed you are. The moment you're attacked and wounded and you buy into this is it and it's over, you will be assisting your enemy's plan to making sure it is over. And you'll quit, you'll give up, you'll retire, you'll retreat, and fear is the driving force behind your irrational decisions. I want to tell you when Saul finally gives way to the fears of his enemy, it's because when seeing his sons lying on the ground slaughtered before him, he begins to believe he's not going to make it out of this battle either. Saul's fears his enemy's going to destroy him and decides to take his own life. His rationale was he didn't want his enemy to have the honor of killing him. So his enemy never had to do it. He did it himself. All his enemy had to do was wound him. Folks, suicide in these days of turmoil are rising at an alarming rate. Men's hearts are failing them. The circumstances many are facing are overwhelming so many. I'm talking about physical and spiritual suicide. Suicide is a response to the fear of your enemy. It happens when you believe, when you buy into, there is no hope for you. You base your decisions upon your surrounding circumstances. You see and feel that you can't win this battle. You've been wounded. The pain in your life tells you you're not going to make it. It's driven by fear. Suicide is driven by a spirit of despair. The enemy doesn't have to kill you. He just has to wound you, and you'll do the killing for him. He's just the voice behind the curtain encouraging you to pull the trigger, take the pills, inject the drugs, or the voice behind the spiritual suicide that says, quit the ministry, leave your wife, denounce your faith. He's just doing the wounding. You do the killing. Wake up, wake up, wake up. You're being deceived. You're wounded, true, but it shouldn't take you out. You can get past the hurts. You can be overcome by the blood of the lamb. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. It should never be over till God says it's over. You can get up, you can get past, and you can get over. How? Because you serve a God who will never leave you nor forsake you. He's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Shake yourself off. Lift up your head and declare, he that's begun a good work me will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. I'm trying to save somebody's life from a spiritual, even physical death. The devil is a liar. Hallelujah. Saul, for fear his enemy is going to destroy him, decides to take his own life. 
His enemy only had to wound him, make him feel like it was over. So many people are setting wounded. The pain is real. The affliction is real. And your response to it is so critical. I want to say to you, this thing you're going through, I declare to you, is not unto death. It's an event that's taken place in your life. It's brought you much pain and grief, but it's not to determine who you are to become. And what the enemy meant for evil, God will turn it into your good. When they came to get Jesus and tell him his friend Lazarus is dead, the Bible says Jesus wept. Yet he declared, this sickness is not unto death. It's so that my father may be glorified. So Jesus could prove that he's the resurrection and the life. And in doing so, raising Lazarus from the dead brought God glory. And you want to know what will bring God glory still today is your life. You allowing God to resurrect your life. You've been beat down. You've been trampled on. You've been lied on till hope is gone. But because of what you've been through, let God get glory today by allowing you to raise you right back up. And you go on to become what God has called you to be. Regardless of what you've been through, let your adversity make you stronger instead of making you weaker. When you declare, I'm not going to let this take me out because of your faith, it gives God glory. When the enemy comes like a flood, God says, I'll raise up a standard. I'll take you above your circumstances. Folks, storms make good sailors. When you're hurt and wounded and you throw in the towel and revert to oppression and depression, God gets no glory from your life. In those times of difficult, God desires to show himself strong on your behalf. Christ came and died on a cross that you could have life and that you could have it more abundantly. When can't becomes your crutch, I can't do it. I can't go on. I can't stop it. I can't forgive it. The problem is that you can't. The word is you won't. God says you can do all things through Christ. So if you can, it's really because you refuse to. You want to know what God gave, gave God the greatest glory from his disciples? The fact that every one of them endured affliction, but yet they served God until their death. They didn't let their trials and tribulations destroy them. They counted all joy when they fell into diverse temptations. They counted an honor to suffer for Christ. They didn't find it strange concerning the trials they were in as though some strange thing had happened to them. You better believe the enemy's dart struck them and it wounded them, but they knew in whom they believed. They knew that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but their God would deliver them from all. And he did. From the lion's den, from a fiery furnace, from a pharaoh, from a raging storm, from the hottest desert. God will always be ready to show himself strong on your behalf. Hallelujah. I want to show you Saul's defeat began long before the Philistines even threw a rock at him. His spiritual suicide journey began the moment he failed to obey God. The moment he wouldn't submit himself to God's authority is when his spiritual suicide began. He began to self-destruct when he turned his back on God who made him who he was. Every time you turn your back on God, self-destruction begins in your life. Folks, to die spiritually is as tragic to your life as to die physically. To be a dead man walking is a man without hope. I've seen it many times, great anointed leaders who became utterly destroyed, not by God, but by their own hands. I've seen prideful, puffed up, rebellious men and women who have crashed. And God wants to warn all of us we are, are who we are simply by the grace of God. And whether or not you maintain your status is depend on whether or not you remain in fellowship with God. I want to draw a picture now. Talk about Saul's success and Saul's sword. He rose up to power by the mandate of God. God handpicked the man. God said, my people want a king, and I want Saul to be the king of Israel. 
In God's eyes, Saul was become a great king. Saul had the presence of a big, strong man with a warrior spirit. He had a lot of passion. But passion's different from beauty or being handsome. It's deeper than that. But sadly, do you know more people remember Saul for his bad than his good? He started out right, folks. He just ended up wrong. It's so sad to see so many great leaders throughout history that did so many great things but are only remembered for their failure. Did God choose the wrong one when he chose them? Absolutely not. They made bad decisions, lost sight of the relationship with God, took matters in their own hands, or neither inquired of the Lord anymore, weren't walking in the spirit, therefore they were fulfilling the lust of their flesh. Every one of us has a permissive will, and serving God is a daily decision. Saul had a presence because of his anointing. It separated him from the others. You know, there's is people, because of their anointing, who can walk into a room, and everybody's eyes will turn to look at them because there's just something different about them, not common. It's presence. Saul was just a king. He wasn't just a king. He looked like one also. He carried himself like one. He moved like one. He spoke like one. The Bible said he stood a shoulder and a half above most men. He was tall in stature. Everyone who encountered him was submissive to him. Every enemy that encountered him was terrified of him. He was truly a warrior with a warrior spirit, strong and brave. When God anoints you, the anointing will destroy the yoke of your enemy. Your enemies confirm your anointed. By how, by, but how, by how they die when they come against you. You remember the demoniac when the demons came into the presence of Jesus? They declared, we know who you are. And they fled into a herd of swines and killed themselves. Saul was a successful king for a period of time, not intimidated by anyone. Saul's sword was fierce. Whenever he raised his sword, there was going to be thousands of people who died that day. He was undefeated because God was with him. As long as him and God was within fellowship, Saul was victorious. No more than you and God are still today. I don't care how bad the storm is, as long as Jesus is on your boat, it won't sink. It might get a little tattered and battle-torn, may take on some water, but your enemy can't sink it. You're not going down while he's around on your boat. But if your enemy can break up the unity between you and God, if he can get you to take God for granted, if he can get you to be presumptuous, which means self-consumed, self-righteous, pious, or prideful, just having a form of godliness or afflicted, wounded, or grieving, then he will drive you to your knees. He'll strip you of your armor. He'll decapitate your head and drag your remains to Dagon as a child and cause you to take yourself out. Take out your dream, your ministry, your marriage, your career. It was God who made you who you are. See, Saul was anointed that even when he became injured by his enemy, that when he asked his servant to pierce him with his sword, the servant wouldn't cause he was afraid to touch God's anointed. Even Saul's utter failure, his servant was afraid to touch him. Now, there's another whole message. But hear me loud and clear. When you see an anointed man or woman of God in failure, you better not have any part in killing him or her. The servant knew what God would do to him if he touched his anointed. In Scripture, God declares, touch, my not, touch not my anointed. Saul, even in his backslidden state, he was still God's anointed. Folks, the call is without repentance. God don't take back his calling. Now he will discipline the called. You've got to be careful when it comes to attacking anointed people. I don't care what they do. Keep your hands off them. Saul was successful. His sword was successful. But yet his success was the very thing that led to his death, the very thing that killed him. He didn't know how to handle success. He became prideful and he became puffed up. Notice pride goeth before destruction, before the fall. God exalts the humble, but he humbles the exalted. Now listen closely to the point of this message. 
It's not what your enemy is doing to you that is destroying you. It's what you're doing to yourself that's destroying you. Your enemy can't kill you. It's a blood thing, I told you. He can wound you. He can hurt you. He can deceive you, but he can't kill you. But he can convince you to take you out, to give up, to quit. Today, I'm talking about spiritual and physical death. Your enemy promotes both. It makes no difference what people hear about you, says about you, who likes you, who don't like you, who thinks you're good enough or who don't think you're good. It makes no difference what your enemy says. You will never die because of the sword. If you die because of your own sword, because you lost hope, you gave up, you quit, you allowed your failures to stop you, allowed your tragedy to stifle you, allowed your circumstances to build walls around you. Your own action, your responses to your trials, pains, and circumstances are destroying you. In actuality, it was Saul's sword that killed him. Now get this. The sword he had was the sword that Saul failed to kill King Agag with that ended up killing him. Did you get that? If you don't destroy your enemy with what God's given you, your enemy will destroy you with what God's given you. The very thing God gave him is the very thing that destroyed him. Why? Because of his disobedience. I also want you to see something else that's very important. The battle that destroyed Saul not only destroyed him, it also destroyed his children. Your disobedience, just like sin, affects innocent people. You've got to get this. The same battle that's taking you out will also be the same moment that will try to take your children out. Even after Saul's death, his enemy was still out killing his, every descendant they could find of his. When he went down, everybody with him did. I don't want to insult nobody. But I want you to understand some of the battles you fight are not just about you. They're generational curses passed down. In an attempt to destroy your whole family all the way down to the third, fourth generation to come. Grandpa, dad, son, grandson, he's after them all. So it's not just about you and her and how you're getting along. It's about your kids being raised in a dysfunctional home where mommies and daddies fight and scream all the time. It's your enemy's plot and plan to pass it along to your kids and then your kids and your kids' kids so that every generation that follows you will be depressed and oppressed just like you. And you will destroy yourselves just like mommy and daddy did by your own sword. Come on. That's all the more reason you got to get up and get past. All the more reason not to give up. I see in the spiritual realm men and women getting this word down deep inside of them and becoming free tonight being revived, getting a new perspective on life, being encouraged, coming to understand this is serious stuff that not only, only affects you, but can affect generations to come. If I don't get this right, my children will face these same demons. And God sent me to tell somebody, sure you've been hurt, wounded, and afflicted. It's real, but there's a real God who's a healer and he's a deliverer that cares about the state of your mind, the things that, that have been put into you. He's declaring to you, let this mind be in you that's also in Jesus Christ. You were made more than a conqueror. You can overcome because he's overcome the world. Wake up, church. You're being deceived. You're taking this thing farther than it was supposed to go. Anointed men and women of God who've been thrown in the towel or even been considering to quit. Shake yourselves and bring God the glory he deserves from your life. Go ahead and do what he's called you to do. Regardless of your circumstances, you've got to go through the fire. Paul told Timothy, endure affliction and do the work of an evangelist. God understands setback, but he's a God of comebacks. Folks, they crucified the Messiah, God's only begotten son. He died on the cross. It set him back three days, yet he came back. He died, but three days later, he made the greatest comeback this world has ever known. And he did it so that you and I could be free from the curse of sin. 
He set an example to all the fathers that the same for their children. And God sent me to tell you he wants, to, wants this to be a season in these last days of the greatest comebacks in history. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. It's not a time for the anointing to quit. It's time for us to win. We got too many people quitting, getting their feeling hurts. I quit. Sure, it hurt, but it wasn't to make you quit. It was to make you be stronger than that. God often allows adversity to come to strengthen you. Too many taking stuff too personal. Come on. You're not perfect. Neither are the ones you're dealing with. You got to learn to hate the sin, but not the sinner. The pain is real, but how much destroys you will be up to you. It can set you back or it can take you out. You'll be the ultimate one making the decision. I come tonight to bind the enemy, to cancel every assignment. The devil is a liar. Just because you're wounded, don't you kill your own dreams. Saul died spiritually before he died physically. His spiritual death was caused by his own disobedience. He had served, severed his relationship with God by his disobedience. And the result was he and his family all died. He didn't die by no one else's sword but his own. The enemy did wound him, but he took himself out. And God's looking for wounded soldiers to respond tonight. The devil is a liar. God's wanting you to rise and shine and let your enemies be scattered. If Saul would have called out to God, he would have had a different outcome for him and his family. Don't let pride, fear, hopelessness discourage you from finding life today. Do it for you, and do it for your children, and do it for your children's children. God's looking today for some comeback kids. This Sunday is to be ordained to be comeback Sunday. You came in one way, and God wants you to leave another. You came in feeling defeated, but he wants you to leave feeling victorious. You came in without hope, but he wants you to leave hopeful. You came in with your head down, but he wants you to leave with your head up. You've been wounded. It hurts. It's painful, but you don't have to let it to destroy you. We need a move in our land. We need a movement. A movement begins when you and I agree to go forward. I'm speaking to every person who's been attacked or afflicted. Every person's been abused or used. Everyone's been tired, tried and tested again and again, and it seems like it'll never end. God's looking for that one who will declare from this day forward, I refuse to be someone's victim. For that one who's ready to declare, I'm made more than a conqueror. Who will declare the devil can't kill me because I will no longer be an accomplice to my own destruction. I I will be victorious. Today, I choose life. Come on. Where are the comeback kids in here tonight? How you respond tonight will be difference between living and dying. Come on, somebody. I'm telling the truth, and the truth is going about to show up in here and set some folks free. I'm exposing the real enemy, and it ain't your wife. I'm exposing the real divider, and it's not the president. I'm exposing the real trickster, and it's not your children. It's the devil, and he is a liar. I'm exposing who's really behind the rioting and the looting. I'm exposing who really hates the Christians. I'm exposing who's really playing the race card. I'm exposing who's really putting brothers against brother. I'm really exposing who's putting color against color, nation against nation. We got to stop helping him do his dirty work. He believed that God would just let him wound Job. He could get Job to do the rest. But he ran into a problem. Job was a righteous man who declared, though he slay me, I will trust him. Hallelujah. Then he used his friends to speak against him. He used his wife to curse him. He afflicted his body, but Job would not curse God and die. And Satan couldn't kill him. And because of Job's response to his troubles, God gave him double for his troubles. Where are the Job's? 
Sir, ma'am, don't let the lies destroy you. Don't let the gossip hurt you. You are the righteousness of God. It's time for you to have a comeback. It's time to get your stuff back. It's time to get your life back. It's time to get your spouse back. It's time to get your children back. It's time to get your career back. It's time to get your health back. Hallelujah. I believe I've been speaking to the right crowd. There's folks in here, I believe, looking for help up in here, wanting answers to all the madness going on around us. People walking around like they've done lost their minds. And we're all wondering, what's wrong with those folks? Well, don't forget to include ourselves. Don't forget to ask God, what's wrong with us too? You need to say, man, I've been acting crazy. My husband's been acting crazy. My children's been acting crazy. Lord, my whole family's been acting crazy. I've got some answers for you if the musicians would come. We are being deceived. The troublemaker is behind the scenes having his way. And for too long, we've been his puppets. And he's putting on a pretty good show with us. But I got some news from him. The greatest show on earth is about to come to our town and every town around us. The real church is about to make its debut. It's called revival. The greatest last out day pouring our time is coming. And Jesus is coming to destroy the works of our enemy. I've been exposing to you who the real enemy in your marriage is, in your children is, in your job is. He's running around looking for whom he may devour, looking for opportunities to blow stuff up in your life, to make mountains out of molehills, to turn petty things into big things. He's just got to get you to take the first drink and you'll drink yourself to death. He's just got to get you convinced to sniff the first line up your nose and he'll take from there until the addiction kills you. He will get you to take you out. If sometimes we can realize who we're really fighting we wouldn't be fighting each other so much. All he has to do is start the fight and you'll finish it for him like Saul did. Saul not only killed himself, he ended a legacy of reign, God's plan, because of how he responded to his enemy's wounds. Your enemy's wanting to turn your joy into mourning. He wants to turn your smile into a frown. He wants to oppress you and depress you, your happiness. Don't you help him no more you got to let some stuff go. Let it go. you got to get up and carry all that craziness in your life up here to this altar and lay it down here and say, here it is, devil. I give it back to you. I refuse to help you destroy me anymore. I'm trading my sorrows for gladness. I'm trading my pain. I'm trading my sickness. I'm trading my depression, oppression, my addiction for the joy of the Lord. I done weeped all night. I'm done with that. My joy is going to come in the morning. We got to put an end to a spiritual and into a physical suicide epidemic that's hitting our nation. We have got to stand like the mighty warriors God created us to be. Would you stand? In closing, the first thing I want to do is take a survey, okay? I'm going to use you. And let's do it without anyone looking. If you would, please close your eyes. Number one, how many of you would be honest and say, I'm under attack, my family is, I've been doing all I know to do to survive, I'm fighting, but I feel like I'm beginning to fade. And that's you, just raise your hand up. Would you just raise your hand? Hands going up all over the place. Okay, number two, how many of you know someone who used to serve God, but due to circumstances, they quit? They threw in a towel. They don't come anymore. They don't serve the Lord anymore. Anybody know anybody? Raise your hand. 
Hands up, many hands. Thirdly, how many know someone who's in the world, whether it's a brother, sister, son, family member, who doesn't know Christ, and you see the enemy is devouring him? Would you raise up your hand? Many, many, many more hands. Well, the results are in. You can look up here now. The results are in verifying we got a lot of people in trouble. We got people in here who are warriors in the fight of their life, fighting. We got people who are not here who used to be warriors who quit fighting and took themselves out. And the third thing was we got people who've never been here yet, but who could become some of the greatest warriors ever. And when we're talking about winning the harvest, all these people are to be a part of the harvest. We're a part of the harvest. Those of us that are here, those that aren't here anymore are to be a part of the harvest. They used to be a part of the harvest. But something happened. They became discouraged. They lost their faith. And then there's those who've never known Jesus Christ are part of the harvest. So when we preach a message like this and we talk what's going on and God exposes what the enemy's up to and his deception and how he's just been trying to wound us and get us to take ourselves out. He don't have to. He's just got to wound us, cause trouble, havoc in our lives. It leads us to, well, what can we do? Well, here's what we can begin to do tonight. God has instructed me. And that is to have a time of intercessory prayer. For those that are here in the fight of their life, fighting with all they got. They're weary and they're tired. Praying tonight, calling out the names of those who used to be here, who aren't no more. And then praying, calling out the names of those who need to be here. They need to come into the house. There's power in intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is yielding. It's surrendering to God in prayer to such an extent that the Holy Spirit takes over and prays for us to where we may be burdened in our prayer and it seems as if we've exhausted our word supply and we don't know what else to pray or what to say. But when we yield ourselves in prayer and we enter into that spirit realm, it says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know not what we shall pray for as we ought but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Romans 8, 26. Church, it's the effectual fervent prayers of the righteous that avails much. And if we truly love, like we say, the people that we mentioned, the people that are here, the people that aren't here, then we need to come and intercede for those we need to come and pray further for those who are under attack, for those who have been taken out, and for those who are lost and being devoured. Because I believe that as we do, God's going to begin to supernaturally visit every name that's called out tonight. And then the harvest will become plentiful. So I can tell you it's just almost 100% of this church that raised their hand at one question or the other. If you're here, would you please come and find you a place to pray? Pray for those who are under attack. Pray for those who've 
walked away from the faith and need to come back. Pray for those who need to be saved, your loved ones. Would you find yourself a place to pray? Pray earnestly, pray fervently. Intercede on behalf of those people who have been deceived. You guys will go ahead and begin to worship as we pray.